morning. Um, the first thing I have to do this morning is apologise for my croaky voice. Um, not last week, or the week before, I had a sinus thing and I lost my voice for five days, um, which was a blessing to memory. Um, and, but it's been slow coming back, so I'm still a bit croaky. I apologise um, for that. Um, I'm going to speak this morning just very briefly on um, a few challenges I have had from the parable of the sower. Um, and that's a parable I always read very quickly, skimmed through it because A, it was too long and, you know, to read slowly. B, I understood it all. But recently, in past years, I've had to come back to it. And I find it very challenging. And it has really spoken into my life. Um, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 13, and I'm going to invite my handsome assistant, Philip, to come and read it from me in the hope of saving my voice for a wee bit. So it's Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, um, verses 1 to 11, and then we'll skip to 16 to 23. Uh, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed some, as in, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. I also apologise, I'm sucking this week as well, just to keep going. Um, my ongoing encounter with this parable began a few years ago. It was a lovely summer's day and I went for a walk in Port Ballantrae 
And I was walking on the path that takes you from the car park down to Runcary Beach. And at the, as I walked, I was trying to recite to myself Psalm 91. You know that great psalm full of the promises of God's deliverance and God's protection. And I came to verses 11 and 12. And they go like this. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And I kid you not, quite honestly, right at that very moment that I quoted that, I caught my foot in a stone and landed face down on the stony path. I was cut all over, two black eyes, split lip. Um, it was not a pretty sight. As I made my way to the car and drove home, quietly bleeding all over the car, I began to wonder what was going on there. Maybe some of you could tell me. I was actually quoting the word of God when the very opposite thing happened to me and I, I dashed my foot in a stone. I fell on the stony path and wrecked myself. Should that really have happened? And I began a journey and began some questions um, popping up in me like to do with the word of God and to do with the promises of God. Are they always true? Are all the promises in the Bible, could I take any of them? Are they for me? Or some for me and some aren't for me? And if so, how do I know which are which? What's going on when we don't receive what's promised in the Bible? Maybe these are things we shouldn't speak out loud in church, but those were the things bubbling up in me. And I began to ask God some questions. And in return, God began to ask me some questions. The parable of the sower is really important because Jesus said if we don't understand it, we not understand the other parables. Um, and maybe you, like me, when you read that secretly inside, think, well, look, it's not that hard to understand. I think the idea is don't be like rocky soil. Um, have good, deep soil to sow in. Clear out the thorns and we're good to go. It's not that difficult. But maybe the point of understanding this parable and other parables is that it's not just that we can give a good summary of them. It's not just that we could think of two or three good applications of the parables. But actually that we recognize there's spiritual truths hidden here, as Jesus spoke about. There's secrets of the kingdom hidden here. And maybe the understanding of that is that we put ourselves in a place to pause at that parable and look deeply into it. And in return, let the parable look deeply into us. I'm sure we've all heard sermons on the parable of the sower um, used to describe how people respond to the gospel message. You know, if you have hard soil, you reject it. Some people accept it for a while and fall away and things like that. Having been brought up in a good dose of those types of sermons, if you'd asked me, I would have said, yes, I've got good soil because I have God in my life. I've accepted Jesus. I have good soil. I was, little, I was a little taken aback to discover that maybe God's view on, my, on the state of my heart wasn't the same as my own. A couple of weeks ago, John Mark was speaking about um, you know, building on the rock versus building on the sand. And afterwards, Violet shared that she reckoned that in one space of one week, she had done both. She'd built on the sand and built on the rock. And similarly with this parable, 
I have found that there's evidence of all the types of soil in my life at any given time. Also last week, John Mark read a verse, um, or two verses from 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, and I'm going to read them again because they're wonderful. His divine power has granted us to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature. There's so much big truth there that you can hardly take it in, but I'm focusing on the bit that says, by, um, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature. I love these verses because they tell me that God has given me everything I need. And sometimes I have to come back to that. He has already given me everything I need. I have a full package of salvation. But I unpack that passage through engagement with his precious and very great promises. And by unpacking that, I mean that I discover how the wonderful truths of what Christ has done for me can become real and present in my everyday life. So it's really important to keep an eye on how we receive those promises and what type of soil they fall into, because that is how Christ is formed in us. This parable also suggests that the realisation of that growth is a process of sowing a seed and reaping a harvest. And this is a lengthy process at that. I might secretly prefer just that God zaps me from on high and I'm totally changed instantly. But that's not the way it works. Just like in nature, there's laws of nature that nature adheres to. The same there's spiritual laws. And the way God's work, word works in us is by a process of sowing a seed and letting it grow. I'm a wee bit worried about this parable as well because I seem to have a considerable degree of responsibility as to whether or not the harvest in my life will be a good one. But the first type of the soil, um, the soil that we talk about is actually no soil. The seed falls on a stony path. The birds come and steal it and eat it. And Jesus says that's actually like Satan coming and stealing word from us. I mean, that's quite astounding when you think about it. And Satan comes and takes away the word from those who hear but don't understand. Now, speaking as a woman who has actually fallen on her face on a stony path, can I tell you the ground is hard and unyielding? And if you ask me, I was sure there wasn't really anything very hard and unyielding about the soil in my life. But then I started to go on a long journey with the Holy Spirit and he started to point things out. There's the passages I don't really like. I know you shouldn't say that, but you know those ones are a wee bit too extreme and a wee bit far too challenging and maybe even impossible. And I'm sure somebody has translated those wrong. Um, so I just sort of ignore those and maybe cover them with a wee bit of stones so that I don't have to look at them. And there's my first patch of stony ground. Then there's the other passages, the ones I, I believe in my head, 
Um, the ones that I give mental assent to, I'm a hearer, but not a doer of the word. I thought they were well disguised, but not to the Holy Spirit. I realize, but, that we become increasingly resistant to unlived truth, to things we hear and don't put into practice. We build up a resistance to those. So there's another stony patch there. And then there's that little secret fear that surfaces from time to time in my life. And I'm not ready to deal with that yet, but I spot it weaving its way through my life like a little stony path. I wonder, have you any stony ground in your life? And where did it come from? You know, perhaps we're inclined to pave over disappointments in our spiritual lives. We stone over areas of hurt and failures. We cement over those areas that we've been vulnerable in and we don't want even the Lord to look into. But this living and active word of God is sharp, it's very precise, it can cut straight down to the heart of the issues of whatever is going on inside our hearts and bring healing and deliverance. But God respects our boundaries and we must agree to the breaking up of the stony ground before it can be sown and before it can become effective. But I'm glad to report that even as I speak, the Holy Spirit and I are doing some major and slightly uncomfortable landscaping in my life. Then there's the seed that falls on rocky places. So in this case, there is a bit of soil, but not too much. So I receive the word with joy. It says it springs up, but it's quickly scorched by the sun. And Jesus said this scorching happened when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. And the big thing that got me there, Jesus didn't say if persecution or tribulation arise on account of the word. He said when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word. It looks like a given. It looks like the word taking root in my life will be tested. I think it's Satan's worst nightmare that you and I might engage with the scriptures and begin to grasp what, as Paul says in Ephesians, are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And if Satan can't steal the word away, he'll just throw everything at us to try to make us back off it, to try to make us just give up on it and let it wither away and die. I'm sure we've all been there. You're reading the Bible and you come across a promise. You come across a promise that is very relevant to your situation and you think, great, I can hold on to this. And you take it and you quote it and the next day you go forward into your day. But things seem to get worse. And the next day they get a wee bit worse again. And the next day the very opposite to what you were expecting helps or happens. And you begin to look at that promise and think, maybe not for me. And you've quietly filed that promise away under things that in the Bible that don't work for me. Maybe you don't do that. Maybe we don't recognise we do it, but sometimes we can. Maybe we don't even talk to the Lord about this promise. 
If you keep on doing this, we end up confusing our own hearts. We end up, we're not sure what to believe. We end up being double-minded. And in James, it says that a double-minded person can receive nothing from the Lord. It's not that the Lord hasn't given us anything. He's given us everything we need. But it's just that we can't receive it. I think sometimes it comes down to a decision. I'm going to believe God whatever what happens. That may seem a bit extreme, but I wonder, can you relate to this? Way back when I was a child, I was really searching for God. And I'm sure I must have asked the Lord to come into my life every night for a month. And I'd get up in the morning and I'd have a look at myself and think, did it work? No, I'm just the same. No. And it was growing anxiety. I realised I had to ask again that night. And this went on. It was awful. And then one night, I, the verse in Romans 10, verse 9, came into my mind. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I heard the Spirit of the Lord say to me, you can trust me to do what I said. And I realised I could indeed trust him because this was God speaking. Who else is better to trust than that? So I did. And then the next morning when I got up, I knew I was saved. I knew I was born again. Why? Was I different? No, that nothing to do with it. I knew that I had settled it in my heart. I was prepared to risk my whole eternal destination on what God had said. Feelings, changes, outworking of the salvation came later. But there's something crucial about settling it in your heart to believe God. My faith for salvation is firmly rooted. It's non-negotiable. I've sown it in deep soil. I'm in for the long term. No turning back. And I know that's true for most of you here. There are other spiritual truths and promises that I know I've sown deeply in my heart as well. I can rest my full weight on them. But I have to admit, there are certain things still growing in shallow soil. There are promises and truths, which I'm a big fan of, don't get me wrong, but they're not sown in the foundations of my life. I'll call them up from time to time, take them out for a wee run, a wee test drive. Um, you know, see how things pan out. No long-term commitment. Lots of backup plans in case things don't work out. That is the shallow soil. And if you're looking for a good journey to take with the Lord, I suggest you would ask him to show you what are the spiritual truths in my life that are sown deeply and are firmly in there. And what are those other truths that I merely dabble in? But the good news, the best news, is that God does not expose the shallow ground to shame or punish us, but rather to call us on to learn how to sow deep soil and how to expand our faith. Then there's the seed sown among thorns. Here we have a good, rich soil that has received the word of God and is in the process of producing a crop. There's nothing wrong with the seed, it's great, it's effective. There's nothing wrong with the soil, it's nutritious and it's able to grow, let things grow in it. But the problem is there are other things growing in the soil. There are these thorns and the result 
is catastrophic. The word of God is choked. The harvest is lost and the thorns take over the ground. Jesus identifies these thorns as being the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. And in terms of these, our spiritual lives, these two carry a health warning. They can seriously damage your health and they may cause death. But the scary thing for me is how familiar these things are to me. This is the way normal people live, juggling the cares of life, struggling with the rewards and demands of money and possessions. This is the way most Christians live as well, I expect, except we try with God's help to contain the damage. But while the thorns might harmlessly grow in our hearts alongside the word for a while, Jesus says, Jesus says that they will eventually overwhelm us and take over the garden. This implies we need to be diligent about weeding, removing the first shoots of fear, worry, anxiety, stress. We need to identify and root out anything that ties our worth or identity to our wealth or possessions. That is, at the least, a daily task, but it sounds scary and daunting. But don't panic, be encouraged. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. I'll share with you my challenge for this section. I've no answers here, just questions, but you could maybe think about them. Dare you believe, dare we believe, that Jesus paid the price for our freedom from these curses? What if it is possible to really live free of the cares of this world? What if it is really possible to live free of the love of money? You see, sometimes we just say, no, we live in a fallen world, these things are just natural. But I wonder about the what if. What if Christ has done something that's so great we can do this? What if the only thing that influenced the state of my heart, influenced my identity, sense of identity, formed my perspective in life, was the word of God? I wonder what that would look like. And finally, we come to the good soil. So what have I learned personally on my personal journey about being good soil? These are random thoughts. I've learned to be intentional about working the word of God firmly into my life. I've learned not to dodge the awkward questions. I've learned to sow for the long term. If we want a productive harvest, we need to sow well and we need to sow early on. Just like it's hard to build your house in the storm, if you wait for a crisis in your life to come along, I would imagine it's probably too late to start sowing seed and waiting for a harvest during a crisis. If that happens, I don't think you can pray and ask God for an instantaneous har harvest. But maybe that's what the miracles are for. We can ask God to miraculously intervene. Our everyday lives are training ground for growing in faith and confidence and listening to God. And everything, as usual, revolves around our relationship with the Lord. Because in the end, this is his garden. I am his garden. You are his garden. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit is an excellent gardener. When we see a total mess, 
he sees opportunity. He loves the challenge. He's a great designer. He's enthusiastic, creative, and brilliant in everything he does. He sees the beauty in what could be. He never gets tired of doing makeovers. And when I want to stone over the whole garden because I'm weary of the process, he remains 100% committed to the process. He is 100% committed to me. He's 100% committed to you. He's made a covenant with us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that looks into the secrets of our hearts. Lord, thank you that it's living and active, skilled in its work in us. Thank you that you come with it to form Christ in us. I ask, Lord, that you would lead us, even this week, into fresh ways of looking at your word, that we would engage with it in new ways and in fresh ways, and that Christ indeed would be formed in us this week. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.